Several decades ago, there was something called the Iron Curtain. It was an imaginary border between the communist Soviet Union and the rest of the free world. It was an Iron Curtain in the respect that those on the Soviet side had extreme difficulty from their region, or you know, extreme difficulty passing from their region into the free world. Communism was a vicious and powerful force in the lives controlled by it. Back in 1955, a farmer in Romania, which is behind the Iron Curtain, had a problem. Communism had become so demanding that his personal tractor that he used would soon be taken away from him. What was he to do? Well, he took it apart. Took it apart, he packed it in tar-coated cardboard and buried it in his backyard. 35 years later, in 1990, the laws changed, which gave him the ability then to dig it back up and put it back together. We know that people have been burying their treasures for centuries. Now granted, burying a tractor in your backyard is a bit unusual. But if something is so precious to you, you've got to do what you got to do. Back in Bible times, we know lots of people buried precious things in their backyards. Palestine was a land bridge between Egypt and the great empires of the north. And the armies of those nations would often sweep through Israel. We know that when they came through, they would be rampaging, robbing. They would be just pilfering through everything in their path. And of course, we know that common thieves could be a problem also. And because there were no banks, people would bury their treasures in the ground, in walls, in tree trunks, or whatever they could. Finding those buried treasures again, well, you know that that could be difficult. Have you ever put something in a house, say, well, this is going to be a safe place, and then you can't remember where you put it? Mm -hmm. That happens to me all the time. And I love it when my wife just said to me not too long ago, hey, put it, put it where I, you know, I, I won't see it. And I says, well, wait a minute, I'm usually saying to you, hey, remember this, remember I put it there. So now I'm on my own. So I hid it from her, but unfortunately, sometimes I hide it from myself too. Well, there was the occasional earthquake back in their time that would shift things around. And sometimes the owners would have to leave their home in a hurry and never come back. Or the owners might be captured by invading armies or die suddenly for you know, there are many reasons why that treasure might not have been dug up. As a result, family treasures could be buried and forgotten for centuries. A missionary in Palestine told of a few workmen who were digging up a garden, and these workmen found several copper pots of gold, which they stole and hid someplace else. But they just couldn't keep their mouths shut, and then eventually the government and the governor of that city caught them. Two of the pots 
containing 8,000 pure gold pieces or coins were covered, recovered. That missionary said he had seen hundreds of persons all over the country spending their last penny looking for what this buried treasure was. So, as you can imagine, many of those in Jesus' crowd that Jesus spoke to either knew of someone who had found buried treasure or maybe they themselves had. That, of course, brings us to our text today. Our text is Matthew 13 and verse 44. I'm sure it's a verse that we're all familiar with. Jesus is speaking, and he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. So again, treasure. This man finds the treasure and hides it, so now no one else sees it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and then buys that field. That is what we'd like to focus on this morning. Since he buys the field, now the treasure belongs to him. Otherwise, it would have been stealing. If I'm on the land and I'm digging and I find it, it's not really mine. But if I bury it, go and sell all I have and then come back and buy the field, now it's mine because I own the land. A treasure. When you think of treasure, what do you think of? Many think of jewels, precious stones or coins. We think of money. And what's interesting is that Jesus talked a lot about money and possessions. It has been said that 15% of everything Jesus said related to money or possessions. He spoke about money and possessions more than heaven and hell itself, as some people would say. It is also noted that nearly half of Jesus' parables, 16 out of 38, now again, I did not look this up, but this is the statistics I came across, that 16 out of his 38 parables deal with money. Now that's a lot. Why would Jesus put such an emphasis on money and possessions? Well, there's a couple of reasons I can think of. The first is that we need money. We need money to pay bills and supply for our family. That's kind of obvious to each and every one of us. There is also a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. Jesus was an illustrator. And in his illustrations, all you need to do is look back at John, the Baptist ministry in Luke 3. Verses 10 and 11 in Luke 3 says that the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he has food, he who has food, let him do likewise. We know that there was the phrase, if you have to, share. What we have, we can share amongst others. John's answer to the crowds about what they could do to please God was that everyone should share their food. They should share their clothing with the poor 
Because the spiritual thing was to use their possessions to help people. In this Luke chapter 3, I'd like to continue reading verses 12 and 13. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he said to, and, and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? John's answer in verse 13, he says to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, don't take money that doesn't belong to you, even if you can get away with it. The spiritual thing in business is not to cheat others. Then the soldiers also ask him, continuing in Luke 3, verse 14. Now the soldiers ask, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. How many people today are in controversy all the time about their wages, that they would like to get more, so they protest and so on. The spiritual thing to do at the job is not to complain about how much they're paid or to steal from people who trust you. You see, each of these commands that John the Baptist gave had to do with how people handled possessions and money. And here's the point I'm trying to make. How you handle your money and your possessions and how you treat people with your money is a barometer of how close you are to God and how much you trust him. So now, here Jesus is telling in a parable that we read in 13, Matthew 13 and 44. He's telling a parable about a man who found a treasure in a field. And you'd say, what treasure? Where's the treasure chest? What's in that treasure chest? Well, we know that it has to be a pretty valuable thing because the man was willing to sell everything that he had to buy the field so that he could take possession of what was being hidden there. Let me repeat. The man sold everything that he has to buy that field. So what is that treasure? Well, Jesus tells us there are basically two kinds of treasure that people would be willing to give everything for. First, the treasures on earth. Matthew 6 and 19. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This is the stuff like your bank account, like your IRA, your money market, and so on, your car, your house. Now, we need to be clear that there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. Lots of Bible characters we read about were rich or wealthy, and God did not condemn them for that. And if we're going to be responsible, we should put money in savings to take care of it for emergencies and so on. But the question is not, do you have money? The question is, does the money have you? Is the money that you have your treasure? Jesus tells the parable of the rich man in Luke 12. 
verses 16 through 20. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? And so he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease. Drink, eat, and be merry. But what does God say to him? This man's thinking, I've got it all. And God says, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those who do those things, you know, who who will inherit these? Then whose who those things be which you have provided? You think about, I always, growing up, you know, you, you recently hear about the Powerball and Super Lottos and whatever, and, you, you know, when you gets to be like, you know, $1.2 billion, you think, wow, if you could have that money. And I think about, well, what would I even do with the money? Because recently you hear of individuals that have won, maybe not that amount, but they've won money. And then they lose everything because friends think, oh, man, well, if you're going to have that money and, and then they, everybody's bugging you and bothering you and, and they think that this is that and that. And people, for the love of that money, treat you differently. And there are individuals that actually will say that that began their problems. They thought that that would solve their problems and it created even worse problems because then we study in our Bible study. These individuals that we talk about in Hebrews 11, which is we're studying on Sunday morning, and we encourage you to be here at our Bible study on 10 a, at 10 a.m., but they, by faith, by putting everything in God, and that is the point we're making, they turned everything into God. That doesn't mean they didn't have some wealth, but they knew God was the root of what they had. You see, the problem with this rich man was his money, was his treasure. He had stored up earthly treasure, and his first thought was about his possessions and what they would buy him. Ah, eat, drink, be merry. What do I have to worry about? Thou fool, tonight thou soul, thou soul is required of thee. We don't know what it says about that, but I can just picture him uh oh. I didn't think of that. How many times in our lives are we confronted with that? Mm. <laughs> I didn't think of that. But you know what he really didn't give any thought to? He gave no thought to at all to God. How does Jesus end the parable? With these words. You can read in verse 21. So again, Luke 12. I read 16 to 20. Now in 21, it says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That is the, the moral of the story. It's not that he had riches. It was his mental thought. Huh, what do I have to worry for? And as it says in 21, he had not thought of God. 
You see, the rich man's money had him, but God didn't. So Jesus talked about earthly treasure, and then he compared the earthly treasure with heavenly treasure. Matthew 6 and 20. In the Sermon on the Mount, going to Matthew 6 and 20. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does that mean? How do I store up treasures in heaven? It means that I should bank my treasures in heaven. Well, I should give my money to God? My money should belong to God. All of my money I should consider as his. When someone asked to be baptized, a longtime minister of the Church of Christ says that he goes through these basics. First, he asks the individual, do you believe? Then he asks, are you willing to repent of your sin and turn from that? And then he gets to the point where he says, are you ready to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? He says at that point, for the confession, he says he pulls out his wallet and explains that in the days of Jesus, that when you called someone your Lord, that person owned you. You were the slave. He was the master. Everything you owned was his. So he opens his wallet and he says that when he became a Christian, Whatever money he had in his wallet, in his savings account, in his stock drawer, belonged to God. Basically, he's saying he's giving his entire life, is the example, to God. He's giving all of himself to God. We think of the young, the, the woman, the old widow, who gave just the two pence. Jesus said, what? that her gift was greater than any other gift that was given, the millions or whatever, because she gave all that she had. She was giving of her entire self, and that is why Jesus made mention of that, I'm sure. The minister continues explaining that everything he has, his car, his house, his shirt on his back, all he has turned over to God. He strongly emphasizes the following points. I now own nothing. It all belongs to God. I turn my life over to God when I am buried with him in baptism. To walk. He says that's what it means to walk in a newness of life. That now I belong to God. It means turning all our money, possessions over to him. It doesn't really mean turning Actually, we know that God does not need our money or possessions, but whatever we use, we use for the cause of God. There was a mine on Facebook a few weeks ago, and it shows two doors. The blue door has this statement beside it. If you choose this door, you go back in time and you can fix all your mistakes. Or there's a red door that simply says $10 million in cash. I don't know about you. I I spend way too much foolish time thinking about if I could go back, you know, back in some of the mistakes I've made. Sometimes I dwell too much on that, you know, because they're in the past. 
But uh, you know, if I could go back and if I could make the, you know change this, or you know, if I could go back in time and and change some of these things, then I'd think I'd have a more perfect life. Or ten million dollars. So I thought I'll play the game. So guess what I did? I chose the door. The little mental exercise. I chose the red door. I chose ten million dollars. But now, what would I do with ten million dollars? Well, I'm probably going to have to pay taxes on it, so that's going to whittle it down a little bit. Then I'm going to give God His ten percent, so that's about, um, you know, about a million to the church, and they can use that for evangelism, mission support, or more help for the poor in the community. Then I'm going to pay off some bills. Maybe get a newer car, give money to my daughters and their grandkids. And of course, I need to work with my 93-year-old mother and buy things that are more compatible for a 93-year-old instead of having to go up and down stairs, maybe get her new house with a ranch style that she doesn't have to use stairs. And uh, maybe I want a self-piloted car, maybe get a driver for her so she doesn't have to drive. And, you know, you think about all these things. And they're still going to leave plenty, you know, plenty of, you know, a nest egg. But what I'm going to do with all that money? But wait, 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 wait. Remember, this is God's money. If I'm really a Christian, this is really God's money. So then what should I do? Well, remember, you can use your imagination. What would you do? I'm not going to fill in the gaps for you. But, but wait a minute. Now remember... It was $10 million, but it's only imaginary. It really doesn't exist. But you take a little mental game like that. And I start to think, what would I have done? And my point being, I started, first off, what do we start thinking? What I'm going to do with it. And it was a lot of personal stuff. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You hear people talk about this, 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 and this. Instead of saying, that would be an opportunity to really serve God more. But think about this cute little poem that I came across years ago. It's not what you'd do with a million if a million were your lot. It's what you are doing at present with the dollar and a quarter you've got. How are you using God's money that you've got in your wallet right now? that you've got in your bank account? How are you using your personal possessions? How are you using yourself? Which is what God is asking as a possession. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. How did Jesus start off the very first words of the Beatitudes. He's been tempted, Matthew chapter 4, tempted for 40 days by Satan. How does he start off? Blessed are those who are persecuted, who hunger, who thirst. Blessed are they. Why? Because they will be children of God. They will have these blessings that they have given themselves to God 
and God will take care of them. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Our treasure is our personal self unto God. But wait, what was that treasure the man found in the field? Well, actually, Jesus tells us this. He tells us that was the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven is salvation. It's the promise of forgiveness. It's the promise of eternal life. Eternity in heaven itself. And heaven is just on the other side. What would you give to get to the other side, to get to heaven? I heard that if you're sitting in a car at the toll booth of the Golden State Bridge and you want to get over to the other side, and there are many tourists lined up behind you, and you don't have enough money to pay the toll, well, if you wish, you can pay with an object other than cash, as long as the value of the object exceeds the price of the toll. And it has been said that drivers have left all kinds of items. They have left the motor oil. They have left a frying pan, a set of silverware, cassettes, and CDs. One elderly gentleman left his dentures and then he returned the next day to redeem them. But individually, there was one individual driver who left a diamond wristwatch that supposedly was valued more than $5,000, and they never returned to claim it. What would you personally give today to get to the other side? Jesus has asked this question in various ways. What shall a man give if he gains the whole world, but he loses his very own soul? What has he profited? We know Joshua, famous quote, as he looked around and he faced false gods and he's looking at people, trust or believe this day in whom you will. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. What's interesting in all of this, as Jesus tells us the price that we need to pay to get to the other side. He tells us about a treasure buried in a field in our text. And the only way to get that treasure is to buy the field. And the only way to buy that field is to sell everything that you have. 
It will cost you everything to get into heaven. Every earthly thought that we set our minds, Colossians, set your mind on things above, not here on the earth. But what do we have that God would want? He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He doesn't need the money. In fact, he owns all the hills and the valleys. So he doesn't need possessions. So what do we have that God would want? He wants us. He wants all of us. Individually, everything, he wants our entire being. What did Jesus say was the most important thought when they asked the commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, all your being, your entire self. And then love your neighbor as yourself. There's the way your possessions. Love your neighbor that you share. And upon these two things hangs or hinges the entire law. Why? Because you are so precious to him that he gave his only begotten son for us. If anybody was watching the football, it was great to watch Glenville, an inner city school of Cleveland, who's the first time that any inner school has won a state championship. And I found it very interesting at the very end. Um, and Ted Ginn Sr. does a lot with the kids. His football team, he's actually built Ginn Academy. And he has the kids show up and he tries to teach dinner, you know, the inner city discipline. And he actually has, they have to wear shirts and ties. And, um, you know, it's more than a, you know, thing. And if you even saw last night, the kids were obviously getting excited on the sidelines. And you can immediately see, I mean, even though he's smiling because he's got the game won, he turns around and immediately you can see him discipline the kids like, whoa, the game's still going on. You know, get back. You got to wait for that time and, you know, go out and shake hands. And you can see he had control of all that. But it was interesting, his comment. After all of this, one comment. If God isn't in it, then you can't win it. And just, I thought, you know, even though the context, I thought that fit perfect with what I wanted to say this morning. If God isn't win it, in it, if God isn't in it, then you don't win anything. You don't win it. So as I was getting to my final verse in my conclusion this morning, we know it's a verse very common. What did God say? We are so precious to him that he gave his only begotten son in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the treasure we are striving for, that we would give everything that we have up for that. If we have not taken the steps to take advantage of that offering that God has offered to us, if we are not in a position to be in what God has promised, that we would, we don't see that promise of eternal life. We know that God says, he that believes and is baptized. So if there's anybody in our audience that has not been baptized yet, we ask that you would consider that to give of yourself unto God that you can gain those riches. If there's anyone who has taken those steps but is in need of the invitation and the prayers of the congregation, whatever your case is, you have the 
opportunity to come forward and make your life right as together we stand and sing our songs of invitation.